0: This is season number 19 of Bass Talk Live with Matt Pangrak. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Aftco, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Pro Guide Batteries, Beatdown Outdoors, shoreline boat and rv repair and omnia fishing hit him with the hook jeffries btl coming at you good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of btl bass talk live where we are going to talk about bass fishing it is officially derby season folks all sorts of tournaments kicking off across the country in the next 10 day two to 10 days and all sorts of Derbies that took place this past weekend. We will get into all of that. We have a laundry list of things. Guys, it's it's season. It's the season. It's here. It is upon us. The boats are wrapped. The guys are, uh, well, everybody's headed to Florida, unless you're just fishing the opens, and then you're headed to Alabama in a couple of weeks. But the mecca of the bass fishing world is currently happening uh, in Florida and out at Havasu. We'll talk a little bit about that, and we will talk about that with one of my favorite guests that uh, we got on during last season a couple times had a great feedback from the btl listeners and viewers and that is the one and only mr pete robbins outdoor writer, uh globe trotter fishing aficionado and industry insider how's that for a title pete
1: that's pretty awesome matt i always feel like an imposter when i come on the show you have on mercer and you have on tommy biffle and then you have on regular old pete sitting in his office chair so i appreciate well, you, it. you you're not like you're,
0: you're not regular old pete you're pete robbins man I mean, uh, you're, you've been an industry standard. I was thinking, did we talk about this last time? I don't think we did. Where do you think the written word is going in the outdoor industry? We did talk about that, a and little bit. clearly,
1: clearly, and I hate to say this because I write for a lot of magazines. I feel like magazines writ large are going away, but the written word—I have more work than ever before. It's just taking different forms, you know. Yeah. As long, uh, I don't know that the the 10,000 word thought piece is ever going to come back in the bass fishing world if it ever existed, but I do feel like 100 word pieces, 500 word pieces, 1,000 word pieces are still out there. They may just take different forms, whether it's social media or editorial content.
0: I was thinking about it, you know, with the, the YouTube stuff. Let's just take Brandon for instance. He's basically doing a written piece on how each of his tournaments went. So what he would have been doing 10 years ago, well, he was probably on YouTube 10 years ago, but primarily is he would be on Bassmaster.com with an in-depth breakdown of how his his tournament went. Practice day one, day two, because that's how we used to, that's how it used to be covered. Now it's just in visual form. So in a sense, is he a are those people creating content that, are those kind of like the new outdoor writers?
1: Uh, Brandon is a distinct case because Brandon, first of all, is a reader. You can tell that when you hear him talk, he talks in full paragraphs. He doesn't give you a, a tweet sized snippet. So what Brandon is doing is just translating what, like you said, what would have been written before into a spoken video content. So yeah. I think it's the same intellectual heft there. Not everyone can be a Brandon. Clearly, for a variety of reasons, but but the written word is just changed. Change where you're seeing it and change how you're taking it in. All words right, to words. We,
0: that's that's fair. Before we get into this, I do want to mention we are uh, we are on the home stretch. Boom! There it is. The Crappie Chronicles and Bass Talk Live Breaker PB St Jude fundraiser. I am flying to Minnesota on the 11th from 5 to 10 p.m. at Giesenbrau Beer Company. In New Prague, Minnesota, if you are in the Minnesota area, all the guys from the Crappie Chronicles will be there and I will be there also raising money for St. Jude last year, this tournament that we're raising money for raised over seven hundred thirty five thousand dollars for St. Jude. They've eclipsed the five million dollar mark. This is the 25th anniversary of the Dick Hiley St. Jude Bass Classic. I think the people who run that tournament from St. Jude are also going to be there. You guys heard me talk about it last year. Uh, BTL sponsors have stepped up big time for this. Uh, Pro ProGuide Batteries, $500 gift certificate to uh, any shippable item on their website. Uh a $400 afco pack sunline a new $400 denali android rod spinning and bait casting and a $250 big bite baits gift pack plus they will have the break your pb the crappie chronicle guys pete they have their own beer so they'll have a couple really? kegs of the break your pb brew at the giesen bauer beer company that's New so Prague, right. New Prague, Minnesota, the 11th, five to ten. If you're anywhere within the area, come by. I've got a big shipment of BTL hats and decals coming in that I will be giving out. Uh, I haven't figured out how I'm going to give those out yet, but I will be giving out at the event. So, got a couple guys that I know are coming. So, looking forward to that one, Pete. Nothing like the old meet and greet.
1: What, what's the weather up in Minnesota right now?
0: Haven't even looked. Oh, it's cold. I'm there. It's I'm there wet. for like uh, for like 12 hours. All right did you see you're you're a man of of uh, a learned man as far as tactics did you see how the uh toyota series both of the toyota series that went down this weekend were one
1: uh light line slow movement not not the power fishing of days of yore
0: yeah i've got it i've got it printed out and we talk about you know specialty things and things that uh and things that i just find interesting in the past and we'll start out with uh we'll start out with the Leesburg, Florida, the Harris Chain Toyota series. And I've got, I even printed it out and I highlighted some of the lines in here because this is absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, uh, Harris Chain, I guess when you started covering Harris Chain events, Pete, Apopka was off limits, right?
1: I think it still is off limits for a lot of other events. But yes, I think think Apopka went through a tough time and was off limits for a number of reasons.
0: And now it's blowing up now you have to go through a four boat lock and wait two hours so they'd run the canal and it's it's chaos anyway uh kenny steverson at 71 13 the guy goes down he finds a hundred yard stretch after a cold front in florida he fishes the hundred yard stretch for all three days of the tournament and he only fishes 30 yards a day and never moves couldn't do it that's pretty insane if you think about it so what he said was he got a good boat drawn day one he was boat number two and by the way whoever's writing the mlf uh recaps written word right here they're doing a hell of a job it's very well done over there whoever's writing those uh steverson so he found where these fish were he would roll into the area he would ease into this 100 yard stretch get position, pull his troll motor, drop his poles. And he said he wouldn't make a cast for like 10 minutes. He'd get settled in. He said, if you hit the trolling motor, the fish that were in the reeds and bedding would sense it. And it was game over. So he literally would take a Cinco and fan cast it and then creep forward five or 10 feet, do the same thing. And because he was in a pop game, he only got to fish like three and a half hours a day and That's all he did every single day was throw weightless Cinco to the same, to every single read on a hundred yard stretch.
1: A lot has to go right for that to work. You know, you you hear about the story of a guy doing that and obviously it's amazing and something that most of us say we would like to do, but probably couldn't. But you think of how many guys try to do something like that and it never works for them.
0: Yeah. It's, it's absolutely cool to see that actually go down. And, uh, uh, forward-facing sonar i don't believe played a factor in that at all so there's one win already are you, you keeping are year. you
1: keeping a table of that of forward-facing sonar's impact and how many tournaments it's
0: oh likely. yeah absolutely The Ta- uh, the winners and how how likely it is because i think that it's i think that you'll see that guys who catch them catch them regardless of whether it's forward-facing sonar now we've already had that discussion though i don't i don't want to get that fired up this morning pete
1: no, I, I, all I will say on that is I was actually thinking about that this morning. Through every controversy we've had in this sport, whether it's co-anglers or forward-facing sonar or the A-rig or whatever, winners are going to win. Yeah. Good fishermen are going to catch fish. The same guys catch them through every change.
0: Since you've been covering this, what, 20 years? Yeah, 20 years. Have you covered anything where something came out and all of a sudden a dude who was a top 20 in the sport became instantly irrelevant and never caught him again because he didn't adapt? No, definitely not. And you've been through power poles, power lock, side imaging, down imaging.
1: Let's go back even to like, we just celebrated. Wasn't it the 20 something anniversary of Dean Rojas catching a hundred and something pounds. We had him on the
0: show from the Marina at Toho on the anniversary.
1: Like, like that to me is the, the last major change because prior to that, you had guys who said, I don't bed fish ever. And they could be competitive. And since that happened, now you better be able to do a little bit of everything, including bed fishing, to be competitive. But that's a mindset change as opposed yeah. to a technology change.
0: But technology change, you've seen them all. The guys who are good are still good.
1: The guys who are good are still good. Van Dam's going to catch him. Whether he catches him like he did in 2011, maybe not. That's due to changes other than technology.
0: Yeah, and I will also say then, well, what about so-and-so? A, a lot of the guys who were the guys 20 years ago This sport, they stick around forever. They're like 70 years old and they're out there. I'm not saying they can't win. Rick Klun has proven that you can win, but you're not a 45-year-old versus a 75-year-old on the water. There's just literally physical limitations that give the 45-year-old guy advantage over eight straight days on the water. Would you agree?
1: I agree in some cases, yes. Eight straight days on the water is hard on any age. The difference is for someone like Van Dam, who is historically a power fisherman, it gets harder to do when you're 70 years old. If you're yeah. a guy who's out there only covering ten yards a day, you might be able to do that until you're 110.
0: Yeah, this guy uh, Steverson, he's 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 good to go. They just got to get him on the water, and he can sinko him to death.
1: <laughs> but but how long does that work? Is that going to work in the fall? Is it going to work in the summer? Is it going to work? Yeah, on a situational. DGA
0: ledge? Yeah. Situational. All right. This was the other thing. This one got me going. All right, Steverson, we're good. Todd Klein, former professional surfer, BFFs with Kelly Slater. I don't know if you know much about Todd Klein. Good dude west coast guy starts the year off on fire on havasu in the toyota series now this is also the beef hey go out west go out west go out west things kicks off they had like 85 boats in the dang tournament like come on if they're having 240 260 boats like they started florida i promise everyone would start out west if it was flip-flopped just a little interesting note there but todd klein Lightline is in Lightline is the new uh uggs cargo pants of the 90s
1: (laughs) mc hammer pants
0: jinko jeans of the 90s because todd klein made an adjustment to five pound test on havasu and a cool baits underspin caught a seven pounder on it blew the thing away on havasu
1: what did he say about the difference of five pound test versus six pound test because that that's what i can't get my mind around and i've heard it i mean i was as as a writer i was close to aaron and aaron would talk about those things like we're talking about right now turning off your sonar, Mm -hmm. five-pound test versus six-pound test. It's just we live in a sport where it's hard to quantify things. How many more bites do you get with five versus six? How many more fish do you lose with five versus six? And we'll never know, but obviously people smarter than me have theories on that.
0: Well, here's... Todd Klein's theory on it. Uh, Klein entered the day with a seven-pound lead over Williams in second, but with a largemouth-based pattern that seemed to be dis- with a largemouth-based pattern that seemed to be disappearing by the hour. After nearly three hours of fishing Saturday with one strike that he didn't connect with, Klein stowed the heavy bait casting gear, broke out the Akuma seven-foot-six-inch dead eye pro series rod and helios reel spooled with five pound test line and went to work with a quarter ounce cool baits uh down under under spin with a green pumpkin and shad colored swim bait trailers
1: okay what do you've gotten the same number it, of bites with six pound test
0: he said that uh i don't know that's uh, it's a good question pete it's a move that Klein had extreme confidence in. He caught a seven-two largemouth on the underspin on day two that anchored his twenty-three pound limit. Uh, it was at that point when he realized it would be won or lost on the underspin. So, and a quarter ounce is not a tiny. Have you seen those cool baits? I mean, sure, those are the biggest. Underspin. Yeah, it's the what underspin of the West Coast uh, that everyone throws out there. Uh, they're they're well-made they're also expensive as heck you ever seen how much those things are for like uh-huh. one underspin i think they're let me see i don't want to misspeak here i think i ordered some for one yeah they're like eight eight bucks a piece eight fifty a piece wow. for one underspin
1: wow. it, th- this whole thing reminds me there was a tournament here on the potomac years ago that denny brower won right after he won the classic and th- this will tell you this is a technology change he was flipping a tube at that point. And like, that was the new thing flipping a tube, which is like, it's so long ago that it has gone out of style. Now it feels like, but yeah. Ken, Ma- Ken McIntosh, who was a pro from, I believe Indiana was catching his fish, split shotting a centipede in that tournament. And he came in second, he made a run at it. And I think he was catching them on eight pound line. And they asked Brower, they said, did you use any eight pound line in this tournament? And he said, I don't own any eight pound line. And like, That's the change. That's the change. I mean, maybe it's with going north, maybe it's with forward facing sonar, Mm -hmm. but guys have to have spinning rods now to be competitive, and you have to be good with that to be competitive. And living at Amistad, I bet Brower owns some eight pound line now. Maybe not. He's pretty hard.
0: Yeah, yeah, he probably does. I actually have him on the Wheaties box behind. I think, was the flipping tube, was the cement, cementation of the flipping tube been the high rock classic in 98 that he won? Yeah, yeah. And then it blew up. I mean, everyone was flipping a tube for the next couple of years.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first guy I think out there who popularized it was Doug Garrett. They were coming out of Arkansas at that point. I fished an FLW at Minnetonka in 97. And my partner was flipping a tube in front of me. And he was saying, you know, this is the new secret bait of the pros. And I ended up catching him on a spinnerbait behind him. And he missed ridiculous numbers of fish. I don't want to throw the guy under the bus because it has to be kind of embarrassing, but like, they hadn't figured out the right tube hook yet. They hadn't yeah. figured out the right tackle for it yet. That people weren't using fluorocarbon. So, like, for things to become, for things to become popular or a trend, timing is a matter too. You have to have the right gear around it. You have to have the right schedule setting up. And Brower obviously had the right thing with the High Rock Classic to popularize it.
0: That's the thing. Going back to what we kicked off the show with, with the written word and the magazine being popular. Like when that when that issue comes out, then. I mean it's there on the coffee table you're reread you're seeing the tube you're reading about it now i think you have much quicker access to techniques and baits but because of how many tournaments there are the fast-paced media world that we live in it's like oh cool he caught it on that on to the next thing it's not there forever to where everybody is seeing it over and over again it's on to the next tournament on to the next video on to the next win
1: Right. In the cycle of adoption and then the cycle subsequently of rejection, because, you know, like the Yogi Berra line, nobody goes there anymore. It's too popular. Everyone adopts the flipping tube quickly and everyone discards the flipping tube quickly or the equivalent today.
0: That's that's great. Uh, A couple other note noticeable names in the top 10 there. Dean Rojas, fourth place, the Birdman, Kurt Dove, solid eighth place finish there on Havasu. You ready for the third tournament, and this is becoming an annual tradition now in East Texas. And it's good to see it happening on Toledo Bend instead of Rayburn now. Uh, yeah. Mega sacks in BFLs to kick off the year. Now there's been some team tournaments, I think, over the past couple of years on Rayburn. We've seen a thirty-nine to forty-eight pound limits, and depending on team tournaments, I think there was a mega sack earlier this year. Weighed it was,
1: uh, in forty-one, I believe.
0: Yeah, um, there was a thirty-nine. 15 give him an extra ounce people 39 15 i'm hoping he dipped the bag before he stepped up on the <laughs> stage there uh 39 15 caught uh by cody pitt out of toledo bend anchored with a 13.6
1: did you see how big that fish is
0: i did and his co-angler also won the co-angler side
1: i i sent the picture of that fish to my wife Because, you know, we go to Mexico a lot, and there are a lot of legit double-digit fish there, but you see a lot of guys holding up double digits that are clearly more like 7 or 8, and I said, we should just hold that fish as an example of every time someone says, I caught an 11 or I caught a 12, this is what a legit 13 looks like.
0: It was well-built, and it was also good to see, you know, over the past couple years, it seems like a lot of the big fish out of Toledo have not been... They don't look right. They don't look like they're built right. Massive heads, skinny bodies. I know that they've go, they're going through or have been going through a transition with lack of grass. You can talk to the locals as to how that happened and why it shouldn't have. But it appears as though that fishery is coming back. Bassmaster Opens headed there in uh, April, middle of April. I'll be there on Toledo Bend for that and looking looking forward to that open there. But this is an example of perfect execution. So listen to some of the lines out of this, out of this write-up, Pete. This just made me, uh, made me chuckle. Uh, When he hit like 30, mid thirties, he said, quote, I felt like I should have enough to win, but some of them guys that live scope, Cole Moore and Tater Reynolds, they whooped my butt too much last year. So I knew I had to get rid of that one, two pounder, which leads me to believe that this guy, (laughs) and he caught him on a jig. Off of off a deep spot. So that leads me to believe this guy was not scoping a 39-15 bag, correct? Based on that line?
1: Probably right. Probably right. That he's so, that he's a flipper dipper as opposed to a scoper.
0: He is. So so listen to this. So he talks about how he, you know, caught a 13-9 and a six and is making good decisions. He said, So I went to another place and my co-angler caught a seven-nine off of it. Then I caught my second bi- biggest, which I guess is at seven. That wasn't it though. I had one more little place. I probably shouldn't even have fished it. I don't know why I did. I ended up catching a six and a five and a half, and the six culled one out, and the five and a half didn't help me, so I went in after that. <laughs> five and a half pounder didn't help the man.
1: You know what I think of when I think of that is, as a bass fisherman, you should put your season together and think, if if I added a three pounder a four pounder every day of the year how many more points would I have gotten you know just just choose a fish that's a a decent size keeper or even a big keeper for your area and think about that but the problem is there's no carryover so like bass fishermen being notoriously unsatisfied with anything that ever happens like there's going to be a tournament this year where that guy's going to say man I wish I had that five and a half pounder why'd I have to waste that fish that day even if he's fishing a totally Mm -hmm. different place
0: yeah that's true he said when i set the hook for the 13 pounder i couldn't move it i said if this is a bass it's ginormous and then he points out that he caught a 10 last week and he knew instantly this was significantly larger than the 10 he said it came up a bunch he said she came up five or six foot before the boat just under the surface and when i saw her i thought she was at least at 12 then she ran back down 10 seconds later i got her up put her in the boat cody pitt thirty nine fifteen, wins eight grand in the BFL and Tater Reynolds comes in with 31 14 to finish in second.
1: Is Tater Reynolds one of the best bass fishing names of all time?
0: Yeah. I think he's pretty strong out there in East Texas. I see his name pop up a lot.
1: You need a Tater. You need a guy named Booger on your circuit. And I feel like, like, yeah, the greatest name of all time though, is there's a guy, I think he still fishes around here. The Carolinas flash butts. Flash butts is the greatest name for a bass
0: fisherman I've ever heard. B U T T S. B U T T S. If you think about it, Basil Bacon's pretty good, too.
1: Basil Bacon. I mean, there's all the guys, the the Pete Ponds, the Mike Worms, but Basil Bacon is good because I believe that's his given name. You know, I I doubt Flash is his name or Tater is his name, but Basil was likely his given name.
0: I feel like you don't really move in on a guy named Tater. No. Like, that's not a guy you want to crowd
1: no, no taters, no boogers, no. Flashes. You
0: know, on the on the message boards, they're always like, "Well, I'll hit them with the with the two ounce Carolina rig and blah blah blah," or I'd throw a trap in their boat. A guy named Tater, I feel like he might actually do that.
1: I don't he know. He do could that.
0: be the nicest guy in the world.
1: Yeah, we're throwing Tater under the bus completely. Sorry, Tater.
0: <laughs> Not really. All right, a uh, couple more things. We 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 are getting into a crazy show today. It is bass fishing beefs, and I've been debating the beef episode for a number of years now. And I I think now is the time to do it before the season starts, that there are some beefs that have been lost to history. And, you know, this is just Pete's third-party witness account and coverage of on-the-water, off-the-water, bass bass fishing, beefs, every other sport, the rivalries and the one-on-ones and that stuff is glorified glory they do whole shows on it they've done documentary series on beefs between anglers between teams and then they they did i
1: hate christian Leitner" about all the whole world hating one player
0: yeah but uh have you ever done anything on bass fishing beefs in the 20 some years you've covered this
1: i guess i've done stuff on people overlapping on where they're fishing you know people being crowded into a small area but obviously it's better when it deals with personalities and that's clearly changed with bass live and with the rise of YouTube, as you said, and just bass fishing television in general, I mean, we see bet more and better beefs.
0: You think there's more and better or with the advent alive? Do you think there's less on the water beefs that go further than they used to? Because back in the day, there's no GoPros, there's nothing. And when it went down on the water, it was just the four, three or four people involved in it. So now the guys are real conscious of, Hey, Whatever happens is out there forever now.
1: No, I think guys are willing to fight it out now. I mean, not fight it out physically, although there have clearly been some examples of that in the past, storied, and I probably shouldn't comment about them because I wasn't there, didn't see them, heard about them like fourth-hand. But, I mean, you think about – Matt Heron and Randall Tharp, I believe that was at Norfolk. That
0: was a well well documented beef.
1: You you I mean that's one thing and that, that was one of the best TV episodes ever because they actually got them afterwards to sit in rocking chairs and kind of hash it out on TV and talk about how it happened. You think about it at the Sabine, Dean Rojas and Alton Jones. Are we gonna I, get into all these? I'm happy to get into them all. I mean, I wasn't there, so I can only, I only saw what the average fan saw. Well, that's the thing. You, I mean,
0: you weren't there for a lot of them, but I just, you know about all these things.
1: Yeah. I mean, you think back, your readers, if they're fans of the history of the sport, they should have read the, the book Bass Wars. And there were beefs back then, but it feels like the way that people talked about them or presented them, or at least they did in that book, they were about fishing. I mean, it was, Rick Klun was involved in two in that book. One was they talked about Rick versus Roland, and which is a more significant accomplishment, Angler of the Year, Bassmaster Classic. We're still having that beef now. But like he called out Orlando Wilson in that book. He called Orlando Wilson the lousiest, best-known fisherman. And I mean, that's, that's like going after someone's manhood, saying you pretty much suck, but you have a TV show, so people think you're good. And, and now I feel like they're much more, to the extent we see beefs, it's not, hey, I'm better, or I had, or my achievements are greater than yours. It's about hey, we're on Okeechobee. It's 8 billion acres of water here, but there's only two reeds that are holding fish, so we're going to fight over them.
0: Who wrote that book? Nick Taylor?
1: Nick Taylor. Unbelievable book.
0: I haven't read this book.
1: Oh, my God. It's so good. They follow around Clun, and someone who's coming back into the news a little bit is a tangential player, Randy Blockett, because he was traveling with Randy Mosley at the time, who was like the up-and-coming loudmouth. He was the disliked Iconelli of his age. And I always think back to that that Tim Tucker line where he referred to Iconelli as the Yankee that even the other Yankees don't like. And, and the reason people didn't like Randy Mosley at the time was because, he, speaking of what we're we talking about, parachute pants and cargo pants, yeah. he wore, do you remember jams, which yeah. were like the, the board shorts that had like Hawaiian prints on them? That was considered yep. radical back then. He wore his tournament vest and jams.
0: Is that it? The That's
1: the book. That's the book. Everyone should read it by it today. Unbelievable read that holds up nearly 40 years later.
0: Bass Wars, a story of fishing, fame, and fortune by Nick Taylor. Engrossing. Recommended and, reading for fishing buffs and just plain sport fans.
1: What, what's great about it is it takes place, I want to say like 86 or 89, and Clun is already the grizzled veteran who everyone looks up to. And here we are nearly 40 years later, and he's the grizzled veteran that everyone looks up to.
0: Huh. And there's some call outs in that.
1: There's call. Rick goes after Roland a little bit. I mean, it's polite. Uh-huh. It, it's not calling him garbage like Rojas called Elton Jones. But, you know, he's going after the man's achievement, saying that I feel like my classic wins are more important than his AOIs. And he goes after Orlando Wilson, who's kind of at this point, it feels like a footnote in history.
0: Yeah, I wonder what he's up to. I don't know. I think Jeffrey's tried to find him a while back. Like a couple years ago wanted to get him on the show that's a little tease of what we're going to get into we're going to take our first break of the show when we come back bass fishing beefs with pete robbins that's btl on a monday february 6th we will be back right after this
2: the new puma sts has been redesigned from the ground up
1: with the angler design function and performance in mind nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot seven inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance, the Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush.
0: Hey guys, Gerald Swindle, representing the AFCO Hydronaut. This is the jacket I love wearing when times is tough, and I'm talking about the weather, not the fishing. The jacket, what I like, I got a double cup right here. I can seal up the bottom of my jacket because when you're fishing, you're holding
2: your arms up, you're bad about getting water that runs downhill. Everything bends good. I'm long arm. Look, it fits
0: very comfortable. My arms are flexible. I've got the speed hood on, pouring down rain. I can get everything zipped up. One thing they did is they made plenty of pocket space. If you ain't got enough pockets in a Hydronaut rain suit, you just got too much stuff. From the water member Brain, that's 30k baby 30 times the reason you ain't gonna get wet super warm if it's cold in the wintertime, you put on your hydronaut you're gonna be a much more comfortable person if you don't wanna just look sexy at dairy queen wear your hydronaut
2: we got it from small to 5x most rain gear does not come in that many sizes you got waist adjusting strap we can make it fit you no matter what the environment is we want you to be comfortable we want you to be dry you gotta check it out they ain't gonna let you down elite series pro Derek Gleason here my pro guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days always plenty of juice never fail the best part about pro guide batteries it's the people behind the company they have over 40 years experience in the battery business keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer catching more fish check them out at proguidebatteries.com
0: what's up bass talk live fans brandon Polnick here all right welcome back btl on a monday talking with pete robbins and if you are getting into the fishing season yourself and perhaps like some of us you have waited until the last minute for your club opener or for your trip i think you're going on a trip here pretty soon pete but some of us you know we get work in the way things are in the way and you're like crap i never ordered all that well don't worry omnia fishing.com we had the guys from omnia polish peed on last month they're going to come on throughout the year and kind of talk about some of the hot baits and trends from a statistical standpoint because that's what they do over there at omnia but anyway six dollar on all uh all shipping two-day shipping excluding rods and reels but the cool thing about omnia all orders placed before 1 p.m central ship the exact same business day so if you need some stuff you know, hop on omniafishing.com. You can like make a profile, get stuff that's selected towards lakes that you're going to, some of your favorite lakes, and get the stuff to you immediately. Northern Company, make it a big push down south. If you haven't heard about it, you will this year. They've done some stuff, I think, with the Elite series. They did some cool like simul streaming stuff during the competition days.
1: That's so. really where things are going, I think, is that you, can, like we said, in the old days, a flipping tube came out. You didn't know where to get one. You got it 30 days later. Now Omnia can put up online right then. Here's what the guy's catching them on. Order them
0: today that is a fantastic point pete like literally they've been live and they're like here's what he's using click here and the next day you could have it on your doorstep on a thursday and be fishing with it on friday that's pretty that's pretty crazy the world we're living in now it's pretty awesome all right before we went to the break we're talking about some bass fishing beefs and we got just a we got a charcuterie board of beefs is that a fair (laughs) fair assessment just a little (laughs) bit of the meats a little cheeses some of the olives but we're gonna kind of Reorganize this into the main course now because this is a show that I've wanted to do for a long time. Uh, I don't know what kind of thought. I, well, I know you've put a lot of thought into it because we've had this plan for a couple weeks. Where do you want to start out on the on the on the beef scale?
1: Uh, well, I want to start off on the Pete Robbins versus Hannah Robbins beef scale right now. My wife just sent me a message in all caps saying, "Be careful what you say; you may get fired." So oh,
0: that so okay, that is a good point uh th- these are just anecdotal anecdotal stories behind the I, I if you would like i'll trade beef stories with you
1: no I, i'm not afraid of anything Robbins ain't scared Robbins wants to tell you Robbins also like, likes
0: to get paid so <laughs> yeah
1: but but you know what like it's not a, a calendar year until i get a call from someone at bass saying you shouldn't have said that you shouldn't have written that um you so, actually you've you know, gotten
0: those calls before oh i get them all the time i get the the
1: worst ones when you get a call from anglers like you shouldn't have written this. And I've done, I've done, written things that were controversial that I feel were appropriate. I've done, written things that were controversial that I felt were cheap shots and I regret. So, okay.
0: How, how does that fit for bass fishing? I've done, like I said, I've done this a lot of time. I wrote full time for a long time doing this without the video. But one of the things that I, and I'll say it, I mean, I think we're all in kind of, kind of thin skinned for a lot of anglers when it comes to media criticism. They want to, would you not agree with that?
1: Super thin skin and the or I mean the organizations are thin skinned the anglers are thin skinned you can't write about anything meaningfully controversial without getting blackballed and that's sort of the yin and the yang of my life on the one hand, I have an income I don't need this job so I I have the the freedom to write what I want and to be a little more controversial than the other than any other person on the other hand, if I were to be excommunicated it would be crushing. It would be crushing yeah, not to, fun. like, be in the media room at the Bassmaster Classic or to be able to call up some pro. So, yes, we are thin-skinned. You know, I, I think if you were to write about steroids in baseball or cheating in baseball, the individual players might get mad at you, but the, the community would stand behind you. But I don't feel like that's the case. Yeah,
0: we're, and we're not even talking about that. We're talking about more like the Roger Clemens deal where he chucks the bat back at someone and they have that. Uh, like an exchange, individual, you know, rivalries, the hard slides into second. The, the, but the, was it, was it the, who was the dude from, uh, from the, uh, Blue Jays who like just punched the, the shortstop right in the face after that, after, cause he had posed and it was a long slide. That's the type of stuff we're talking about. I'll do my best to this show not to John, John Wick you and get you excommunicado for going ham in the Continental.
1: Can you imagine if we had like a Waffle House style brawl at a bass tournament? How great that would be! Like there have been stories, and there's there's one really good story I would love to tell, but I wasn't there and don't know the details about someone punching someone else in the parking lot at an old Bassmaster Open. So I don't feel Kentucky like Kentucky could... Lake. No, is it at Rayburn? Like in the early '90s or late '80s, and I don't know the details, so I don't want to get into the into slander, libel, etc.
0: Okay, well, don't use but, names, and you're really vague now, but basically they gotten a beef, and some guy dropped him in the weigh-in line?
1: Got in a beef. Two guys, you know, it was back in the pro-on-pro pro day. Two yep. guys draw each other. They go to one guy's fish. They catch the snot out of him the first day. Second day, guy sees the other guy there because you're not paired with the same pro. And, you know, he's on the spot, shows up there, and the guy he showed the spot to is sitting on his juice. So he gets mad, sees him in the way in line, says, if I see you on that tomorrow, I'm going to punch you. Day three, he gets there and the guy's sitting there. So he punched him and he got banned from Bass for several years. He eventually came back and fished in the Elite Series. But that's. There you go. I'm going to let discretion be the better
0: part. Of hey, have, has there ever been an instance in your case? And like I said, if you don't want to use names on some of these for just general abuse, has there ever been a case where someone was said, hey, let's go to the bank? And the other guy said, OK, and they actually went to the damn bank, got out and had it out on the riprap because that's the greatest end all of all efficient. Oh, go to the bank. Has that ever actually happened in the thousands and thousands of of confrontations that have taken place on the water at the professional level?
1: I don't think so. I mean, there have been people ramming boats. You want to talk about people ramming boats into each other? Is that the equivalent of of going to the bank? Or do you want to see people actually getting out and beating the snow? I want to see other? guys
0: getting out on a sandy beach and square it <laughs> off like, like it's a like it's a playoff game. Because is uh, that would you not say, hey, let's take it to the bank? That's the greatest bass fishing beef. Like he's like, I you know, he challenged me to the bank. You would think at some point someone would just be like at the point of their career with zero checks just not having a good day, life in shambles, and went, yeah, I'm I'm up for a tilt.
1: You'd have to choose really carefully who you're going after. I mean, I, I always think back to there was a tournament on the St. Lawrence a few years ago where someone harassed Mark Menendez. He was fishing around their dock or something like that, and they harassed yeah. him. And I was like, well, I could Mark is the nicest guy in the world, I, but I could see harassing him. He's not very threatening. And then they harassed Russ Lane. And I was like, dude, I'm not harassing Russ Lane or Jason Williamson or Jared Lintner or someone like that who could crush you. You better. I mean, like Charlie Hartley would never get in a beef and he may be scrappy, but like I could see someone going after Charlie because he's not an intimidating person. He would probably smile you to death.
0: Yeah. Uh, but then he would he would just run around. You'd never be able to catch him. And then when you're on the ground with exhaustion, he'd come in with the <laughs> with the haymaker.
1: <laughs> the worst thing you can do to Charlie is to go step with your muddy feet on his boat after you went off <laughs> on the bank.
0: Now you've got a beef with him.
1: I don't. I will say this. Charlie is the least beefable person on tour today. And I am thankful for his friendship. Every year, this is a Charlie Hartley story. It has nothing to do with beefs. But every year on the first day of the Classic, I get a text from him. And this is the importance of the written word. He says, tell me a story today. Mm-hmm. And like to know that he's listening and to know that he's a fan of the sport is really cool.
0: Uh, so where I got off topic. Where do you want to go with this? You want to start from the earliest to the latest? You want to go in different types of beefs?
1: I, I want to start with the perception of beefs as those of us who are fans or anglers of how we perceive the beefs depends on who's telling the story, how it's being told and who's involved. And and I want to give you an example there. Um, And I'm going to get a little literate on you. Have you ever heard of a movie, Japanese movie called Rashomon?
0: I've heard that word, but I'm sure that's probably in relation to that.
1: There's something called the Rashomon effect. It's a movie that came out in the 1950s. And it's about a murder and they inter- the story is told from the perspective of four different eyewitnesses to the murder and each of them has a different story of what happened including who actually committed the murder even though they were eyewitnesses and, and that's what i feel like when we have these beefs and I'll-, I'll give you an example in my opinion we can get back and discuss the details the greatest beef in the history of sport and one that may not be remembered is boyd duckett versus kevin langle at Gunnersville, 2009 so this beef happens, and we can discuss the details. Kevin Langle is kind of, not a nobody, but a lesser-known pro at that point.
0: Journeyman. Well,
1: Journeyman. Hasn't had real success, hasn't made it to a classic. Boyd Duckett, at this point, is coming off a fantastic year, wins a classic, wins like $850,000. He's well-spoken. Like it was one of the
0: top five years of professional bass fishing history.
1: Right. So this beef happens. Langle goes crazy when he's DQ'd over infraction on the spot. He jumps, you were probably there. He jumps into the boat with Boyd at the dock. Say. He jumps into the boat and he starts screaming at him. Then he actually goes out on the water and like fishes around Boyd, even after he's de- disqualified and like gets gets double secret probation and is double DQ at that point and banned from Bass competition. So everyone leaves that saying, Boyd played it professionally. Langle's a hothead. Langle was clearly in the wrong. Then you got four years later, five years later, Carl Jockamson is leading at Wynia Bay, And the perception is that Boyd Duckett comes in on him. I don't know if that's true. I wasn't there. I don't know if he found the spot independently. I don't know if he followed the bent rod pattern. People start to say, some people say, this is two times. that Boyd mm-hmm. Duckett is getting into scrapes with people. Maybe we can reassess the Langle situation and see that Boyd is a hole jumper. I don't know if he is or not, but but that's the perception. Mm-hmm. Some people don't give a damn. Then a few years later after that, Boyd goes and he is, to his credit, he's the face of the Bass Pro Tour. He's the one mm-hmm. who's taken the slings and arrows. So if you love Bass Pro Tour, you say, you know, Boyd was treated unfairly. If you're a Bass loyalist and you hate the Bass Pro Tour, you say, well, Boyd was slimy all along and he was hole jumping people. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know anything more about any of those beefs than the day that they happen, which is to say very little, but your perception changes over time with, with how things happens and how people play in other situations, even if those were all independent episodes.
0: God, those are two good episodes that I forgot. So I was actually on the water with Harold Allen during the Kevin Lango situation and was actually rooming with Boyd Duckett during the Carl Jacobson situation. So what is the name of that movie?
1: Oh, the- Rashomon. R-A-S-H-O-M-O-N.
0: So you have that, and then I have the other side of it. That's very interesting. So so
1: I mean, without giving too much away or without getting yourself in trouble, how do you see those beats playing out? Uh,
0: It was interesting. So the Kevin Langell deal was, uh, and like I said, this has happened years ago, and these are just uh, anecdotal accounts that we're giving. I'm not saying this is all fact or anything. And like I said, it's weird because everyone talks about these things. No one talks about them on air. Right. Right. But this is if you want to be a professional sport, if you want to be a professional sport, you have to act like a professional sport. When you don't act like a professional sport, you have to take the freaking penalty like you're a professional sport. And when things happen on the water, you have to realize that you are a public figure. And within reasonable circumstances, it is these people are watching it for education and for entertainment. And it's part of something that happened. It is an event that happened, just like a hockey fight, a bath, a brawl, the brawl at the palace, all that stuff. And it needs to be covered. But you can't take all of the accolades and all of the good things without still being subject to scrutiny when something else happens. Otherwise, it's it's not a it's not a professional sport then. Then it's just it's just choosing and picking.
1: But- I mean sports sports matter because of people eventually we'll get to the point where there are robots who can play basketball and <laughs> robots who can yeah. fish <laughs> self-driving robots who can you know do all of this yeah. stuff it's not going to be interesting then it's interesting because when we have rivalries it's interesting when we have drama and it's mm-hmm. interesting when we learn all of those things are not mutually exclusive.
0: Yeah. Uh I mean the, the Langle thing I remember is it, it was basically Kevin was having a really good tournament. He was at the point of the year or where he needed to have a good tournament. Boyd, Alabama, jumping around, ends up on a spot. Langle comes up and he goes, Hey man, this is my spot. I've been fishing it. And Boyd's like, Oh, dude, I'm rotating a bunch of spots. I don't know where you're fishing. Langle's like, You need to move. Boyd's like, No, I'm fishing this spot. Langle then proceeds to forcefully use his vessel to try to move him off of the spot. Boyd calls tournament director. Lego says, I'm not leaving. This is ridiculous. You saw me here. You're I'm here because you're here because you saw me catching him. Boyd saying I'm here because I grew up fishing guttersville and this is one of the spots I fished and you're acting crazy and you just hit my boat with your boat. Long story short, the next morning he, he gets he gets DQ'd right for sports like yeah. conduct, I yeah. guess l- l- next morning and it was cut morning Landel said, well, I had enough weight. I should have been in the cut if I'm not fishing. No one's fishing. Parks his rig in front of the boat launch lengthwise so no one can get – no one can launch. Bass is like, hey, like everyone shows up and he's parked there. He's like, if I ain't fishing, no one's fishing.
1: Have you ever seen anyone pulled off by the police? From a boat uh, right there?
0: there, there were the authorities were called there, but like I said, this was a fairly civil. So then that was when that went down. And Jo has a great photo of Langle with his finger on Boyd Duckett's chest because that was actually a morning when Kevin wasn't fishing because he had been DQ'd the previous day. Uh, and and all my interactions with him were, were fantastic. I remember I think his big thing was he had Langle lures. He had a suspending rattle track. That,
1: that, that's the best line in the post in the post tournament write up where he said Boyd was just jealous because I had my hover lure. Out there, Which was not like the hover lure that's like a little dragonfly over a, over a lily pad. It was a rattle trap prototype. Mm-hmm. And he said, Boyd was jealous because I was going to catch him better than he was. I don't know if that's true or not. See, I this, was,
0: this was actually, this was from May 9th, 2009. Were you looking at that Bass fan article? Yeah. Yeah. There's Marshall testimony. Uh, there was an appealing. Uh, it was his first check of the year. You know, he said, "quote I'm losing my whole career. Here's my first check of the year, and I'm losing it because Boyd Duckett whining about someone else somebody fishing besides him."
1: I mean, if you if you look at the articles, Boyd went back and Boyd handled it like a PR pro would. He said, "You know, I want to stay out of this. I'll just let the marshals testify." Boyd is smart. Yeah. Boyd had Boyd had a business background. He knew how to manage crises. Yeah, and I think that the change is. These things are on TV now. You have to come off as reasonable and rational. And now guys like the Palanics or the Zaldanes who have their own media are able to package it even better. I don't see either of those guys getting in a major fight, although uh,
0: maybe this was handled very diplomatically. Duckett said he provided no testimony as to what occurred, but instead asked Weldon, Trip Weldon, tournament director, to poll everybody else who'd been on the scene. I don't want to come down to an argument between two anglers and have the story between us, he said, which is kind of what you were talking about with that. Everyone has a different viewpoint based on right. where they're coming from. I certainly don't think I'm powerful enough within the BSS organization that I can get a guy DQ'd for getting all my fish. So I guess yeah. this was kind of covered back in the day. I mean, this was a 2009 article that was covered. I mean, it's it, I literally just pulled it up.
1: Yeah, it was never on TV. I mean, when when was the... Tharp versus Heron, quote unquote, battle. Is that like 2014,
0: 15? Uh, whenever That's they what? were at Bull Shoals.
1: Bull Shoals in Norfolk, right? It was a, a two venue tournament.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Duckett described the area. He said, Duckett said Landrell pulled up next to him. He said he filed a protest against Landrell to conclusion of the day. And the other angler also brought an encroachment issue up to Trip Weldon. Uh, the whole issue was he was still mad from day one. He came in flying on pad and almost hit me coming off pad. I protested against him. I've never been treated that way. I spent nine hours there on the previous spot. So that's a That's an interesting one. And then just to put a bow on the Winyah Bay one. Uh, you know, uh, that was when Carl was thrown. He was throwing a speed worm. Right. Okay. And I think and he was he leading day one.
1: I believe he had like 17 pounds and was leading
0: yeah um and in in duckett's defense on that one that was the one i mean that one played out on live as well didn't it
1: yeah it did
0: duckett said dude why am i gonna drive 80 miles across an entire bay and up a river to to go get on someone else's fish he goes and he said he was the first one in there on day two. Day one didn't pan out, and he had no idea where Carl was fishing. But then by the time Carl pulls in, he realizes he's a day one leader. He goes, what, what am I going to do? I'm stuck. He goes, I'm two and a half hours one way into a trip, and that was where I was plated on fishing.
1: So so what are the ethics there? I mean, back in the day, there's a spot on the Potomac here called Fox's Ferry.
0: That's a great and, name it, for a spot.
1: Yeah, it's an old It's an old ferry wharf just below DC and at high tide, it's completely submerged. So if you don't know where it is, you're going to knock your lower unit off. But Jay Yellis had like five top five finishes, including a win there. Everyone knew that's where Jay was going to fish for part of his tournament. Is that spot reserved to you? Does no (laughs) one else go there in practice? I mean, Oh, this is the greatest beef. Do you remember the David Dudley beef speaking of Florida? when he knew he was going to have a bad boat number and went and stuck a bunch of bedfish fish. Enlighten, crazy.
0: enlighten the viewers on the David Dudley rule for those who, who are not. This is kind of a legendary and goes down in bass fishing history that is brought up amongst beers and, and tackle prep every single Florida tournament in the spring.
1: Man, so I just remembered it. Was it at the Harris chain?
0: I don't know where it was, but regardless. It was, there,
1: it was clearly going to be a Florida bed fest and it was back in the days when you knew if not your boat number ahead of time you knew which flight you were going to be in so dudley knew he was going to be in a late flight and all these during eight practice
0: before practice they right. send it they make call or tell you you know what your boat draw is before you start practice
1: so dudley knows by the time he gets there there's going to be scraps there there's probably not even going to be a 20 yard stretch to get on so on the last day of practice. He spends time going and sword mouthing a bunch of these easy pickings bed fish. And he's proud of it. He says, that's a piece of strategy. I went and I stuck the fish that other people were going to catch. It's effectively playing defense. And people went ballistic over it. They said, that's not sporting. They said, it's not a good use of your practice time, which I don't buy that second argument. The first argument, I think you might be able to make a colorable case. I think the biggest problem was that David Dudley, was very vocal about it. I remember Peter Tilaveros in particular was upset about it. Roland might have been upset about it. Probably guys who had good boat numbers were upset about it. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know. You think that's sporting to go and stick a bunch of fish that, that you know someone else is going to catch?
0: That's a six dozen one way. Not that's not the phrase, is it six dozen <laughs> one way, half a dozen the other that'd six be of- way too many dozens. <laughs> uh six, six dozen one way, half dozen the other. Yeah. So, uh, once again, Bass fan article, February seventh, two thousand five. They covered this, and uh, at the Ranger M one, he oh, this talks about the chainsaw. At a recent Harris Chain Bassmaster, he again worked within the rules to employ a new strategy. He said it was quote defensive, but others said it was offensive. That was uh, that was some good some good wordage there by uh, who that would have to have been like John Storm, John Storm. back then probably. Uh, but others said it was offensive and his strategy has sparked a heated debate that, at the very least, should lead to a rules change for the 2006 season. Bass adopted a grid system to promote fairness. The problem was an angler knows his boat draw before the tournament begins. Therefore, Dudley knew he would be one of the last boats out on the Harris Chain. Rather than surrender the easy sight fish at the Harris Chain Canal to the first flight, he went out on the last day of practice and set the hook on a number of big fish, then released them. That would make the fish very difficult to bite the following morning. Never in the sport of fishing have you had to incorporate defense, Dudley said. Fishing is an offensive sport, but the way Bass set the grid up, they created a defensive sport. Within that system, you know exactly where you'll be. And... He said that's why he set the hook on those fish, knowing that I couldn't catch them and that I couldn't get to them. I played defense. I swung on the sight fish. Is it against the rules? Nope.
1: I mean, it's brilliant. Whether you think it's sporting or not, it wasn't against the rules. He had to choose to spend some of his practice time doing it, and it drove people crazy. And he probably would have gotten away with it, and I'm sure other guys have done it and not talked about it over the years.
0: And that is to this day why – you get a text message or an email after official practice is over that says what your boat draws.
1: Yeah. Simple fix.
0: That was a good one. There were a bunch of guys that were upset about that. That was right when I started getting involved in the sport that that went down.
1: I, I think, you know, you talk about beefs and you talk about rivalries and you talk about people who are disliked by large swaths of their colleagues. It's oftentimes guys who push the boundaries of the rules not necessarily, we talked about gray areas previously, but mm-hmm. guys who kind of figure out a little bit of strategy. I mean, I think there were a lot of people back in the day who disliked Roland. I think you hear a lot of scuttlebutt now about Scott Martin, about Jacob Wheeler. They tend to be guys who do well and think a little bit outside the box.
0: What are your thoughts on gray areas? Because I am I go back and forth with it, man. I mean, you talk to some guys that like, hey, if you aren't reading the rule book and taking advantage of it and that's in any sport remember in the nfl when they have the deal where the guy steps out of bounds when he catches the kickoff and then it's considered a kick out of bounds
1: no and the announcers
0: then the announcers go dude that's a brilliant use of the rules because now the ball comes out to the 35 yard line instead, or the 45 40 yard line instead of the 25 yard line and people are going well that that's that was kind of cheap shot no i was like taking advantage of the rules change the rules yeah yeah
1: I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. Change the rules. Make them clear. Exactly. We, we have we have millions of underemployed attorneys in this country who could be put to use making better rules for sports.
0: I hear you. All right. What do you got next?
1: Um I mean the next big beef and probably the most famous one is when I use this phrase, tell me who it is. You're not part of the community.
0: Yeah, I knew you were going with that. That's gotta be the biggest uh the most well publicized spat in tournament fishing history, would you say?
1: I think so because it was televised because it was, for those of you who aren't aware, and I'm sure anyone who's listening to this show is aware. It was Kevin Van Dam, Mike Iconelli in a bass fest at Chickamauga and Ike pulls up and Van Dam goes after him and Ike says, Hey, it's a community hole and Van Dam to his credit comes back with the quick quip. You're not part of the community. And I mean, it's a quotable, brilliant line. Um, And it's the, The two biggest people in the sport over the past 20 years.
0: Team Toyota teammates. I mean, both classic champions, millions of dollars in earnings.
1: It's it's funny you say that because uh, you, you talk teammates, there's no such thing as teammates, and I didn't realize until years later that being on the same team may actually be a negative like, and I'll use those two as a hypothetical example you know, hey, that's your Toyota teammate. Well, if there's a finite pot of money to be had from Toyota for Van Damme to get a raise, it means that Iconelli has to get effectively less money, less publicity, etc. So I think there are beefs within families, too, and those might be the hardest, the hardest, the least likely to be publicized and the hardest to figure out.
0: Uh This was also covered by Bass, and I'm glad that we kind of have, because I had done a little bit of Research to th- I figured these were some of the ones that we might talk about. Uh and Jim Sexton actually wrote about this in the Bassmaster blog, June 14th, 2014. And the title was A Little Altercation Between KVD and Ike. Uh, Kevin had departed his key spot on day one and two. And this is a it is a community hole. Ike came into the area. Well, no one was there today. Soon after that, Kevin came back and started working again on his little honey hole. Ike was out in the main channel and began moving towards shore in the process, getting very close to the honey hole. Kevin then moved his boat in front of Ike in what appeared to be an effort to protect the spot. Then Kevin said, you think that's cool? I love how he said that. (laughs) You you, you can picture. Can you hear him saying that right now? Absolutely.
1: I can see him going like this with his hat, taking it off. You think that's cool, buddy?
0: Ike responded with, come on, man, be nice. After that, some choice words were exchanged, and Ike headed out the door. Now, that's it's very interesting that in this article it said nothing about you're not part of the community, which is the iconic line that came out of that altercation. Uh, Steve Bowman and I, who who Sexton was on the water with, think Ike didn't realize he was passing over the spot where Kevin had done much of his bass whacking in this tournament. In fact, he may have just been passing through the area. A few minutes after Ike left, Kevin looked up uh and thoughtfully said i think he's having a bad day uh and i was indeed having a bad day
1: i mean those two are the polar opposites i mean i'm sure kevin gets perturbed but kevin like boyd duckett uh, political correctness is a loaded word so i'm not going to use that here but kevin is good at packaging his emotions he's good at saying here's what i think he speaks in fully formed paragraphs he's able to say things in a way that is understandable and explains his position whereas ike Ike is certainly smart. Ike is certainly yeah. the best interview out there along with Palahniuk and Van Dam. but Ike is emotional. But so, here's I mean. what's
0: interesting. What I, what in my head I remember about that altercation is Kevin was there whacking him and Ike in desperation roars in and comes in on Kevin. And it's Ike trying to get his way in on Kevin and Kevin holding his ground. Well, if you read this, this excerpt from what Jim Sexton's saying in this blog on June 14th, 2014, that's not what he described happened. He described that Ike was there and that Kevin came back in and that Ike was passing through the area and that Kevin came in to protect his area, which is not the way that it was portrayed in the clip that we saw. Would you agree?
1: I agree. It was exactly the opposite or close to exactly the opposite. Yeah.
0: I mean, he was there. This is before anyone had seen it or anything. This is Jim Sexton sitting on the water watching it and saying, hey, here's what we saw transpire, which was different than the 30-second clip that we saw with the you're not part of the community. Come on, man. And then Ike leaves. (laughs) What's the movie? What's the name of the
1: movie? Rashomon. 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 Google it. Look it up on Wikipedia. But, like, there were other people there, too. I seem to remember that Jeff Crete was there. Mm -hmm. And Crete was tight with Van Damme. I mean, they were buddies. So, like, do you have different standards for different people? Do you get pissed off when your roommate comes within? No, do you allow your roommate to come within 20 yards of you, but you let someone who you don't like not come within 100 yards of you? Are there, are there different sliding scale standards depending on who the altercation is with and what their history is? Yeah, that's great. I don't know. I mean, it's complicated. It's, it's really complicated because, you know, on some bodies of water being within 20 yards of someone may be perfectly acceptable and absolutely necessary on other places being within 200 yards of someone is too close. And I, I, it's, we'll, we'll never overcome those gray areas completely.
0: Good stuff, Pete. All right. Next one.
1: The next one I want to talk about generalities, and and it kind of dovetails from that point I just brought up about letting your friends get away with more than your enemies, is we hear certain groups characterized certain ways. I've heard certain people who are sort of in that good old boys network say the Japanese anglers are whole jumpers or the Canadian anglers are whole jumpers.
0: Or the young guys don't have respect. The young guys don't
1: have respect. Yeah. I mean, you hear people pigeonholed and listed as groups. And I think there are group rivalries there, and we treat people differently based sometimes on the group that we're in. I mean, I assume you talked earlier about five-pound tests. I assume if I see a Japanese angler out there, they're going to be throwing five-pound tests and And, doing that. Which isn't right,
0: because Marizo, one of the greatest power-fishing Japanese guys of all time, and doesn't, never, when he fished, hated throwing the finesse stuff.
1: And Takahiro as well.
0: Yeah, major (laughs) power-fisher.
1: It's funny you said I bring that up because I brought up Rashomon, I brought up the Japanese anglers, and I'm thinking back to the, the historic Falcon Tournament in 2008 that Paul Elias won, which we will get into. There was another beef there. Um oh, wow. Yeah. But, oh, but wow, the, se- yeah. The, the second day I'm fishing with Yusuke Miyazaki, and we're in the Tigers, which is the real popular area where a lot, most of the damage was done. And we're fishing one spot over and over again. And all of a sudden, Takahiro comes flying in at 70 miles an hour and he screams something at him in Japanese. Now, to me, it seemed angry, but I don't speak Japanese. I don't understand Japanese social cues. Maybe that's the way you speak when you're telling someone, hey, if you just throw a Carolina rig here, you'll Mm -hmm. catch bigger fish. But I perceived him as being angry and I, I don't maybe he was angry. Maybe he was inviting him in. Maybe he was saying, hey, could you leave here in five minutes? But I think there was a beef. There may not have been a beef um but getting in there there was one of the great beefs in the history of the sport and it was one that really I think my sense is destroyed a friendship was that Byron Belvic and Aaron Martins got into a beef um in that same area during that same tournament they both had had I think 30 pound days the first day of the tournament and they ended up on the same spot and they both were showing I remember that it was a lot of bro I've got a waypoint here this and that and As as I was thinking about this show ahead of time, I was thinking, who's the one person who's never been in a beef? And I was saying, well, Aaron is the one person in the sport who is universally liked. And then I said, Mm -hmm. oh, crap. He was in a beef with Byron at that tournament. Mm -hmm. And, And I think it my sense was from what I read later was maybe they reconciled later on. But that at least temporarily it completely soured their
0: relationship. It was. I feel. I feel like both anglers believe they would have given Paul a run for his money and potentially won the tournament had the other one not been there. And I think it. It was often how I think a lot of beefs start. You had one angler you know, you don't have just one spot and it's a big lake. So you have one angler that rolls up and catches them at 11 and leaves at 12. And another angler shows up at 1230 and jacks him until one. And it's a, then you realize the potential of it. And then you end up there at the same spot. Well, 50, 50, you know, both guys think, Hey, I I've laid claim to this spot. So that's how the beef starts because one guy doesn't back down. Cause he's like, no, I was here. The other guy's going, no, I was here too. Uh, that I think if I remember correctly, that's kind of how that went down. They both had fished at different areas. They both had waypoints in the same area. They both had caught the fish there in practice. But they all didn't believe the other guy had.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and that's another offshoot of this beef conversation. Except for Tharp winning that time in the Ozarks, can you think of someone who was involved in a major beef who ended up winning the tournament? I mean, all these stories we've talked about, the guys ended up being also Rams. And, and and there's two things there. One is you get into a beef because you're arguably sharing a good spot mm-hmm. with someone else. The other thing is, I think a lot of people, it mentally takes you out of your game when you get in a beef. You spend more time worrying about the beef and protecting your spot than about actually fishing.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I was trying to think. It, it takes a specific tournament, too, especially a spot tournament. Uh, like a Kentucky Lake or a ledge tournament or other, I remember kind of a, an organizational beef along that lines. Remember when a bunch of, uh, not a bunch, several FLW tour anglers, I think there was an invitational on Kentucky Lake that practice started the third yep. or fourth day of the elite series event. And there was some friction that was created because the FLW anglers were simply, going around and there were photos of them waypointing where the elite series anglers were fishing in the tournament and several flw anglers got disqualified for that or they had to fish in barkley i believe they could only fish in barkley in the tournament or something like that to where they were
1: what rule did they break
0: i i don't know i think it was maybe a sportsmanship rule or something
1: Because I remember, I'm thinking this might have been the same tournament. It was 2009. It was the one that Bobby Lane won on the bass side.
0: on the shell bed.
1: And I remember being out there in the boat blogging for bass, and I guess it wasn't against the FLW rules at the time that you could troll. And I remember in practice, in practice, not in the tournament, I remember seeing several guys trolling down the ledges, and they would just hit a a waypoint when they would hit a a piece of shell or when they would catch a fish. And, and thinking that was bizarre but i don't remember the second part of that
0: i think that was it yeah the Aaron uh velvet beef uh was you good for another segment of of uh, uh on the water altercations i am i'm i'm enjoying this and i think you've yeah. kept your job so far
1: <laughs> i've kept my job i haven't thrown <laughs> got- anyone under the bus but there's still time i got plenty of time
0: <laughs> all right btl on a monday with p robbins talking bass fishing altercations We'll be back right after this.
2: Great thing about the new Sensation Soft Plastics from Big Bite Baits, heavily scented, super soft, buoyant, comes in seven great new shapes. I've got a couple of them of my signature series, the Cliffhanger Worm and the Ram Tail Craw. Great for a flipping jig, football jig, swim jig, all that, several other great shapes. Really excited about it. We've worked over the last year, catches fish all over the country, and I think it's going to catch fish for people everywhere you try it. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years, and it is one of my go to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat. So, you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro is coming out with a handful of new colors, including Pearl Shad, which has this bleached out white look, but it's got this pearlescent, really, really pretty. We've got Copper Shad, which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you want to give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD.
1: Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer, so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done
2: right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at the Get the best patterns backed by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that
0: beast right there. Have you considered purchasing new electronics for your rig? The type of mounts you choose to protect your investment should be part of the decision-making process. No matter if you prefer one, two, or three graphs up front, Beatdown Outdoors has a solution for you. Adjustable, versatile, rigid, and made in the USA. What's your ultimate electronic setup? Check out the full selection of Beatdown Outdoors products by visiting beatdownoutdoors.com.
2: Having confidence in your tackle while on the water is one of the main things to success in my opinion. In the last couple of years with Denali, I've had just that from anything from spinning rods, casting rods, tungsten products, even now to casting and spinning reels. I have the confidence to go out there and get the job done and know that all my equipment is gonna handle it and do it just the way I want it. The thing about Denali is you've got great quality products at a great price point. So make sure you check them out.
0: Welcome back, BTL. It's BTL on a Monday as we kick off a new week talking all things beef-related in the bass fishing, and I think we got to stop using that word because then we'll inevitably have someone that's like, hey, we'll do the the beef and bass drinking game. Like, they did that when we had Biffle on, not this time, but the time before, and I did a whole show on bush flipping with Tommy Biffle, and people were like, drink every time he says bush, which it got just absolutely ridiculous. Well, um, why does no one seem to dislike? Maybe they do, but no one seems to dislike Tommy Biffle.
1: Like he doesn't have because he's bad a likable guy. But he's been in more beefs with anyone. Ever, I know, like but listen, versus, but
0: but he's just right. that certain guy. There are certain guys that get a pass, and I don't know where it is, but they get the line between jerk, and that's just who he is. You know what I mean? There's certain. It's, it's like in every single sport, though. You know what? There's
1: there's the old guy who like you go to a wedding and it's like a black tie affair. And there's always one old guy who can like show up in jeans and a snakeskin. Yeah. And they say that's
0: that's just that's Uncle him. Bob. Yeah, yeah, that's just what he does. Uh, I tried to do that with going to weddings because I was like, if I never go to a wedding, then I can never offend anybody by not going to their wedding.
1: Right. You make a policy. Sorry, right? it's my blanket policy. No, it doesn't work that way. People are like, yeah, but you're coming to my wedding. Because we're, yeah. we're close like that. And then
0: I ended up going to a wedding. Anyway, uh, there was a point, like our listeners on BTL, very educational. I'm sure we were getting to this point. You had made a statement that you don't remember a a, a altercation that resulted in the wind. The Randy Haynes, uh, Jason, oh, Jason Lambert, Lambert, Lambert blew that thing out of the water. And that was, I would venture to say, the most publicized and most covered and most talked about beef more so than the Iconelli Van Dam, It was just the characters that were involved. Now, if you're a TVA ledge guy, those are your Iconelli's and Van Dams that got into that.
1: Yeah. I mean, but I don't know. To me, it feels like the, and maybe this is my prejudice, so don't hate me for this, but it feels like FLW didn't have the media reach at that time. Didn't have the same significance that the elite series had and Randy Haynes, Jason Lambert, exceptional fishermen. It's not KVD versus Ike. I mean, there's only one KVD and only one Ike and anyone else just pales in comparison, even if the beef itself. And there, I said that word, even if the beef itself is better.
0: Just the way that it happened though. It was, it was, was it the, it was the final day. And he I didn't show up. He just went no, home. He showed up. It was live. It was happening on air. I remember Travis Moran talking about it, who was a host of FLW Live. And and he was him and Lambert were, were were jockeying for position for the lead of the tournament. Lambert knew he had a faster boat than Randy Haynes. Haynes only had one spot. He thought he laid claim to the spot. Lambert had been fishing it. He thought, well, if I'm, you know, faster, that's a I that's me. That's my equipment. Like I'm the one who tweaked my prop, who made sure I was running right. We both have claim to this spot. It's a good spot. He tells Randy, we can fish it together. If if you you remember watching that, Randy, old school, man. I mean, old, old school. Didn't think that was right and took it to the house. He put it on the trailer with a hundred grand on the line. Now, some say, well, that's because he knew if he didn't have that spot, he didn't have anything else. He wasn't going to win anyway. Then on top of it, he shows up. He fishes a Forestwood cup because he qualified for it still. And he retires.
1: Yeah. That's literally taking your ball and going home. But he had another, if I remember correctly, he had another source of income. Like, yes, a hundred thousand is a hundred thousand and whatever that forest would cut paid at that time. I mean, that's real money, but still, if you have another source of income, it's walking away, but it's not quite walking away. Like it, If you're some dude who's
0: $80,000 in debt. May 19th, 2008 Bass fan with the day three field reduced to 30 competitors. The duo staged a boat race to the spot upon takeoff. Lambert arrived first, just seconds ahead of Haynes. And they began fishing virtually shoulder to shoulder. FLW live video showed that Haynes became frustrated with the close quarter situation, eventually telling Lambert he could have the spot to himself. Quote, I'm taking it to the house. He said, I've got work to do. Haynes owns and operates a hardwood floor installation company. There were no harsh words exchanged between the anglers. The video snippets were broadcast on FLW Live. Lambert can be heard suggesting that they share the locale, which demands a specific bait presentation from a precise angle. But Haynes opted to depart and head to launch. Reached by phone an hour later and route to his home, Haynes said the scenario from his perspective was an ethical issue. It's more of a sportsmanship deal than anything else, he said. I'm kind of old school, and I fish because I love it, but I don't want to fish like that. It's just where the sport is now. I was the leader, and I pretty much sat on that spot for two days with nobody around me. He beats me there today because he's got a faster boat. If that's the way it's going to be, I've got other things to do. I'd rather see my kids and do hardwood floors. Bam. Now, I mean,
1: some people have suggested as we go through this, a lot of these beefs have happened either on TVA ledge tournaments or in Florida, right? Some people have suggested, well, we could get rid of this problem by not having spawning tournaments in Florida or ledge tournaments on the TVA. That's now, so. <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think you would get rid of the problem because it's going to happen wherever you go. I also don't know that you want to get rid of the problem. I mean, no. That that's what those are the issues that real sports have to figure out: is how do we deal with these sort of knotty issues? If you just had a playing field where you could go wherever you want, throw whatever you want. Fished whatever way you wanted. It makes it a lot less interesting having to play play defense or at least figure out what other people are going to do.
0: All right, maybe a little bit out of line with the Haynes Lambert beef as far as chronological order. Where just I saw that comment during the commercial break. But where did you want to pick back up?
1: I, here's where I want to pick back up, and I'm glad you talked about a TVA, like because I have a memory, and I don't know if this is true, but it makes for a good story if it's true. Even if it's not true, it makes for a good story. When Jeremy Starks. One at Wheeler. And if you remember, it came down to a two-man horse race between him and Van Dam. Mm-hmm. I have a memory of Jeremy Starks on one of the days wearing a T-shirt that said, Kevin Van Who.
0: No, and I think it, he said it on stage. Did oh, he have he said, the shirt? I think I he said, remember. I think he took the lead and said, Kevin Who on stage. And then was like afterwards was like oh maybe shouldn't have done that but
1: if you do that you better win here's you it's the the line from the wire you come at the king you best not miss and he came at the king and he won I mean it may not have been wise but to me I mean that's that's legendary stuff to say
0: I like you know it
1: it's Joe Namath type stuff we're gonna win here's how we're gonna win here's how much we're gonna win by
0: yeah no I like that one
1: of course, you know Van Dam's still out here, and Jeremy Starks is not. But, but he had his moment in the sun. That's all you He's can got. Have doesn't
0: he have multiple Elite Series wins?
1: Yeah, he won there, and he went at Amistad. Douglas, Douglas, strolling Douglas, in, on Douglas? In, in the in the strolling tournament. He won, I think. Yeah, with Britt Myers leading, and then he went on to win.
0: I think that was it. That was the one where, uh, J O has the photo of Britt Myers hovering above his boat as he runs up after idling. I think <laughs> remember that didn't Britt Myers have like a, like a three tournament string where he just went unconscious. Yeah.
1: And Britt, Britt will never get in the beef cause he's one of the nicest guys around too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Next beef. I'm, I'm remembering all sorts of beefs now that actually were fairly public.
1: Well, you, you feed one to me cause I'm running low.
0: All right. Um, The Gerald Swindle, Randy Howell, Bassmaster Classic DQ.
1: See, that's not a beef. But again, that's one of the greatest lines of all time. Because I don't think it was a beef. For those of you who don't remember, it was at Lay Lake or Logan Martin. One of those Alabama lakes. Mm -hmm. And and Swindle's midday running up to a spot. Randy Howell is fishing his spot. And Swindle runs really close to him. And it's Mm -hmm. all caught on camera. It was determined by the powers that be at Bass that he ran too close to him. I don't. I don't think there was a protest. And Randy being sort of affable out there, he, he he just low keys it. He goes like, man, he shouldn't have done that or something like that. And, and Swindle, to his credit, got up there and owned it. He got up on stage. And if I remember, he was quite tearful, probably tearful because he lost a chance to win a winnable yeah. classic. And also because he made a huge mistake.
0: I guess. Yeah, I guess maybe that beef was more a Swindle cameraman than Swindle, <laughs> swindle how. <laughs>
1: What What's it like if you're the cameraman and people don't like you? and you're stuck in the boat with them all day? Has there ever been any of that?
0: Uh, I'm sure there has. So uh, if you're a member of the media or an employee of Bass, you sign a waiver at Elite Series events, basically, of what you can and can't do with your stuff. I'm sure it's different as an employee. But one of the things in there is that if you see a rules violation uh, while you're on the water at the tournament, hear about it, whatever, you're obligated to report it. Uh, so that I mean, I think that's where that kind of stemmed from, where that like, guy thought maybe that was a rules violation. There's been uh, guys who've been put in the penalty box, DQ'd for a cameraman who's shooting and takes a photo of a dude idling without his life jacket on. I think Kevin right. D got put in the penalty box or or has some some sort of penalty because of that.
1: Oh, I got a good beef coming out of that. Is um Fort Madison, Iowa? Do you remember there was an Elite Series tournament there? Yeah, and yeah. Several- Several marshals got ejected. Yes. Or yes at least one marshal got very ejected. Very
0: serious, out, yeah. And, and
1: several people, you know, went and offered up aid. And several people, whether they saw it or not, ended up just keep running to the line. There were
0: two ejections there. One of them was a pretty serious injury that ended up on the bank, and one was open water. And that was, there were some guys that got called out in that event for looking straight ahead and not looking to the left or <laughs> where, where it was going down. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh People in the comments brought up a little bit of Drew Benton and Scott Martin. So what what do you deem the difference between like a a actual altercation fight on the water? And obviously we haven't talked about the biggest one, William Knight. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I think we'll close it with that one. Um, And just a discussion on the water from two different viewpoints because the drew Bett and Scott Martin one, I feel like was just a spur of the moment discussion thing. I wouldn't call that a, a beef per se. I, I don't
1: call it a beef unless it has longer lasting ramifications. If it's something that happens on the water and you mm-hmm. leave it on the water and maybe you you're wary of the guy or you dislike him a little bit, that's one thing. But when it ruins a friendship or people are talking about it 10 years later or, there's clearly animosity that that lasts beyond that particular moment, that's a beef.
0: So like that's a, an
1: easier discussion than is bass fishing a sport or is it not a sport?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. So if Jacob Wheeler says that the one guy he wants to beat on the show here is brent Ayler and says, I don't get along with Brent Ayler, and then Brent Ayler takes said clip and puts it on his social media of Jacob Wheeler saying that about him, is it fair to say that there is a Brent Ayler Jacob Wheeler beef?
1: that's a beef I think
0: because that's off the water that's not a on the water instance where you talk about it it may be showed live and then you're cool after
1: no or you know beyond that sort of institutionalized yeah memorialized beef there's also if it results in police activity or or <laughs> something or, or something with you know a personal injury or damage to your gear anything yeah. like that to me that's a real beef like if you have a record because of it or you have a mugshot because of it, that's a real beef.
0: Yeah, I mean obviously the big one is the the battle in the lock Keith Poche Ish Monroe Bassmaster Open. Poche comes in hot. I mean this is this is V1A, would you not say? Uh
1: if, like I said, if it results in someone being hauled away by the police or someone having to make a statement. Well, you to got the police, everything here.
0: Beef. You have you have Poche admitting that he was not that he was uh that is boating and and i remember going to that lock the first time and i'm like this is how it went down and this is where he came in hot like what the heck was he thinking just when you get to that scenario and see it tons of people around um this had everything you wanted it had poor judgment in boating (laughs) It, it had it had uh lots of witnesses it had uh invitation for altercation and acceptance of said invitation. (laughs) And then it had following through on promises. And and it's two guys who have
1: have strong personalities as well. Yes. I mean, that adds to it. And they're not nobodies. And then it had
0: legal ramifications (laughs) and substantial DQs. It had all seven of the things that make for a quality and memorable altercation on the water. Yeah, Do you and, remember and covering that, Pete?
1: I wasn't there, but I remember thinking about it and writing about it. The hard part of being a writer in this sport is, especially in the age of social media and Bass Boat Central and all of that, by the time something like the walleye cheater scandal happens or the ish thing happens, a lot has been written about it. It's hard to have a new take on it, and, and everyone's sort of viewpoints come out. And I don't really want to, in my spare time, write something that's not going to be distinctively me. But that's what the i'm not saying the sport needs that the sport doesn't need more unsportsmanlike activity it doesn't need right. more arrests it doesn't need more damage but it's understandable like when you have an nfl player who's violent off the field in everyday life it's never justifiable but when we celebrate people for their violence and for their willingness to put their bodies out there and their willingness to destroy other people it's understandable why nfl players sometimes can't turn it off in real life and we celebrate the guys who jump over beaver huts and race into the lock at the last second and barely make it in and tune their props so they're faster than the next guy's prop. So it's understandable when someone is mad that they didn't make it into the lock or mm-hmm. that the other guy made it in and they don't think he's worthy of it. I mean, mm-hmm. these are people are competing for a lot of money and they're competing for more than that. They're competing because they really want to be the best it's something that's important to them so for these altercations to arise and for them to result in legal actions potentially is not it's
0: understandable this was 2015 uh this is the ish and, and uh Keith Poche the confrontation was, was which I've just learned stop being able to pronounce certain words on BTO which is a real Arcutery. issue which is a very bad issue when you talk for a living the confrontation which was witnessed by dozens of anglers waiting to enter the lock began after poche's boat collided with Monroe's. (laughs) the later craft was reportedly stationary and secured to another's boat in order to lessen the effects of the stiff north wind uh then I guess there was a, a altercation. Monroe attempted to board Pochet's boat after the two got into a heated verbal confrontation outside of the lock on the south end, providing passage to Lake Kissimmee. They immediately made physical contact which resulted in Monroe entering the water and Poche losing his balance and falling backwards onto another competitor's boat with the lower half of his body becoming submerged.
1: But think about how that was phrased. What did you say? They immediately made contact?
0: Yes, they immediately that's, made contact. This that's is the like most John Johnson article, January 16th, 2015 on
1: Bass Fan. And John Johnson is more of a journalist than I will ever be, and he's very careful. He has reason to be careful when it comes to making statements. But they made contact is a very purposefully passive sentence. Think about it if it had been written, you know, Ish's fist made contact with Pochet's face or Pochet leaned his shoulder into Ish. It totally changes the tenor of the article, right?
0: Yeah. This is interesting. What's the name of that uh, movie, Pete? Rashomon. Ish said, "I have my story. He has his, and everybody has their own story." Yeah. If there were be. blows thrown, it would have been a different ball game, but there wasn't. This is not that serious, folks.
1: So until you have a mugshot taken.
0: Yeah, and then uh, I think Ish got arrested for it, and then they're you know they're talking sorry or not. I think uh, I think boat. I think Pochet was banned for a year, was he not?
1: Possibly. I mean, they both ended... It's kind of odd that they both ended up leaving and going to the other tour, and now they both made their way back. So maybe we'll have yeah. another altercation. I'm sure... Oh, my, that's my fantastic.
0: Guess and they is, start in Florida.
1: Yeah. So maybe...
0: This is the greatest part of the article. I've totally forgot about this. Uh, Accounts from a couple of competitors who witnessed the incidents also varied. Bass fans spoke with another longtime Elite Series pro and co-angler who were among those waiting outside the lock, and they disagreed as to who ratcheted up the verbal portion. Both asked to remain anonymous. This is the quote. Keith came in hotter than a firecracker. And just rammed the front of Ish's boat. And then it just became a swearing match. The elite series pro said.
1: (laughs) Do you think the the location matters? I mean, we talked earlier about going to the bank. And if you always have the option of going to the bank, you can decline to go there. But if you're in the lock and you have the altercation, there's nowhere to go. You're stuck next to each other. You can't defuse the situation by moving away. And is it more likely or less likely to become physical?
0: obviously more because it's the only one that has the elite series pro said ish tried to tell him hey you weren't right by hitting my boat but poche just kept egging it on and egging it on and he wouldn't quit it got real bad the co angler, however tab monroe is the aggressor poche was like look dude i'm sorry but ish went off the deep end and was cussing him up one side and down the other ish got his boat ran into and i'd be mad for that too but an accident is an accident if someone steps over into my boat cussing i'm going to defend myself
1: so here's the deal. Ish had another DQ in bass history, right? At Toledo Bend, he's leading an open or in the top few, he doesn't produce his insurance. And he ends up getting DQ'd for that. I mean, ish to his did credit Did he get it,
0: DQ'd or did he just have to get suspended until he could find the insurance? I thought he was like boat one I, or something I, like that and if, they if, held him until if, his, his insurance agent opened.
1: If I recall correctly, he kind of went off on the tournament director, who may have been Chris Bose yeah. at the time. Um to his credit, Ish is always willing to be outspoken. I think sometimes that works for you. Sometimes that works against you. And and he's obviously, he's another person who's very smart when it comes to marketing. He's obviously made decisions, whether in the heat of the moment or with more thought, that he thinks are best for his career.
0: Yeah. I I don't want to risk glorifying altercations. We've done BTO for, this is the 19th year of it. And we focus on entertain, educate, and engage. Uh, it does fall into the entertaining part though.
1: That that sounds like a uh, Jackie Childs from Seinfeld. We're gonna entertain, educate, engage, well, and that's eluc- a, elucidate.
0: That's a Mark Jeffries deal. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I was at like a movie theater like five, six years ago, and like the movie theater company's slogan was like entertain, educate, and engagement. <laughs> and <I was laughs> like,
1: ah! So Jeffries goes and sees Toy Story, and you come back with a slogan.
0: No, I don't. I, I don't think so. I think he just. I think it's pretty three common things that everybody wants to do. <laughs> what What else you got? Like I said, I think your job security. If you have any issues on this, you can hundred percent pin this on me.
1: Uh, I've had. I don't think. I'll, well, I'll never be surprised at how thin-skinned people in the fishing industry are. But you know, one thing we didn't get into, and this is probably something for a future show for you, but media beefs. I mean, I think there are podcasters who may not like you. There are other writers who I know don't like me. There are fishermen who I know don't like me there. I think there was probably some bass fan, bass zone rivalry back in the day. At I mean, one
0: point in time, I will say this live on air. I think I might, what Jeffries have talked about it and they, they're, they they're chill now. I don't, I'm not even sure where, uh, where John storm is he's right now. Skiing,
1: skiing in Buffalo, I think.
0: I've always been ch- cool with uh, with everybody. See, there I am trying to deflect beef, and uh, but anyway, at one time I guess supposedly Jeff- Jeffries was trying to get into it and cover it with Bassone, and and there is some stuff that goes back and forth, and let's just say Doug Grassian, the uh, Bass PR guy, yeah, I remember, literally that. put a strip. Literally, I cannot stress the word literally enough put a strip of uh, duct tape in the middle of the media floor and said, Jeffries, you're not allowed to cross this strip of duct tape. John Storm, you stay on this side of the duct tape, and you're not allowed to speak to each other. Well and the, if, it, was... if, if any of you cross it, you're out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was in the middle of that beef.
0: because oh, I were had, in the in – the... Uh,
1: No, not in that beef, but I was like – like a piece of property part of the beef. I was like the child in the divorce between the two of them or the custody battle. Like I I started off my writing career more or less writing for Bass Fan, doing freelance pieces here or there. And then Jeffrey approaches me. Jeffrey says, I want you to write for me. Here's the work I'll give you. And I said, that sounds great. That's a great opportunity. He says, one condition, you can't write for Bass Fan. And I said, okay, you know, I, I can live with that. You're giving me enough work and you're paying me better than they do. That's fine. And John Storm got mad at me. And it turned out, I think Storm had once called the Bass Zone team a garage band in, in a disparaging way. And, and Jeffries, understandably, got very upset with that.
0: Which at the time, the the studio wasn't a garage. <laughs> no, <it> was- <laughs> <laughs> it was finished out i mean it was a full-on studio in there but no that that those that, that was yeah that was good times but it motivated it was motivational
1: yeah it, it's like fishing against the best fishermen out there you i mean you had very different models back in those days yeah. i feel like bass fan took a more journalistic approach to it and BassZone was more innovative the, uh, and you were on the scene all the time you were yeah. there at the tournaments all the time so i'm not saying one is better than the other but the complement of the two of them elevated
0: everybody why don't you think we talk about it like in every other individual sport especially nascar i mean that is the biggest thing ever i mean they're like we gotta find the pits you got guys throwing the helmets at each other you got i mean you got the guys covered at it i don't know it's just weird how it isn't in fishing and you would think it would be even more in fishing because you got all day to stew about it like i'm gonna gonna freaking read him again i'm gonna teach him a lesson when he gets in today
1: yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, why we're so because,
0: Is it because there's no helmets? Is it because there, <laughs> there's no distinction? Is it because, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I think we just, we, we savor the fact that we have a nice guy reputation. And part of the good thing about this sport is that the pros are accessible, that they're yeah. willing to educate and engage. And what was the third one? Entertain. Entertain. Some of them are willing to entertain. Some of them not so much. And... I don't know, there, there's room. I, I heard someone talking about this recently. There's room for villains in the sport too. There's no one who's universally disliked. Is and- like a villain? No man, Ike has done more for the sport than just about anyone. I'm
0: not saying he hasn't done more, but he when you got a guy who's a GQ top ten most hated athletes of all time, and Mike Iconelli's on it. I think if you were to pick a villain of the sport, it would have to be Mike Iconelli. Now, I think that over the past decade, he has done and he has he has transformed himself from a lot of that thing. But I still think if you were to pick. A controversial or a villain it would be ike and ellie especially when you go back to the american flag the classic dq the incidents the screaming the dog stuff at the classic the gq article the flames the never give up throwing the tell-all book i mean how could he not be
1: yeah there there are more people who are happy when ike drives his boat up onto the Bank of the Sabine, oh, yeah. and you're Ike does something driving stupid. driving into the- Yes, he, he's a villain in that respect. And I even think back, there was an early Elite Series tournament on Champlain. And this was a televised one where Brower catches a fish and he pulls it up and starts yelling and he says something like, Hey, how about that, Ike and Ellie? And <laughs> the, the, there was a. The, he, he, man, I, there's a million of these. You just keep jogging my memory. Oh, there was a God, time when, I, you're going. when when Ike said in Bass Times that I don't envision a season where I don't make the classic. And there was a plan among a certain cadre of anglers where they were going to all like send their copies of that magazine with that highlighted to his house the year he didn't make a classic. Really? So, I mean, he Uh, he was cocky. He was from the north. He changed the sport. But uh, you you add that Mount Rushmore of Bass and Ike as the first person to fully embrace the media side of it, there's no question in my mind that he's that fourth person there.
0: Okay, so this is probably the weirdest beef of all time. And if unless if you don't have any others, we'll end with an obscure beef that at the time involved the local newspaper talking on the record when you thought you were off the record, Jerry McInnes and One of my uh, best friends. the Arkansas River.
1: One of my best friends after the Arkansas River tournament, I think it was in 2014, 2013.
0: 2011.
1: My timing is off. He said, I'm willing to... G- no, I think the quote was, I will go on the record about this. This tournament was a cluster F. Yes. Is that the beef you're thinking of?
0: Yes, no, but that wasn't the beef. It was the beef within the beef. The tournament was a beef itself. 110 degrees, oh, it was was J-
1: Brower versus JVD running down to a pool.
0: Cra- craziest, be- craziest beef in the history of the game. To two least expecting guys. You had Denny Brower... Towards the end of his career, catching him offshore, a pool down on a football head. And then you have elite series, I believe at the time, rookie Jonathan Van Dam, nephew of Kevin Van Dam. So, I was I mean, on the well, water and watched what, this wait, happen. Wait, what's the
1: what's the unlikely part? Is it Brower getting a beef? Or Brower two? fishing no, offshore.
0: Just, j- both. Just JVD and Denny Brower on the Arkansas River, but Brower's fishing brush piles offshore. Like it's just a weird situation.
1: But doesn't that encapsulate all the possible beefs out there? There's old school versus new school. There's right,
0: and that's what this. Small, beef is. There's
1: small spot. There's there's one thing we haven't gotten into is the concept of carryover beef. So to the extent that Brower was <laughs> Brower was at one time like Brower in the late 90s, he went on a tear that was ridiculous, and then shortly after that, Van Damme's tear starts. Does JVD have carryover tear that carryover beef from his uncle, or does he not care? Like if Corey Johnston gets into a beef with someone, is Chris uh, equally mad at that person? I
0: don't, I don't think so. And for like those of you who don't remember, so Steve Wright, and like I said, everything we've talked about now, Pete, has been backed up by articles. Okay, good. June fifteenth, two 2011. Uh... This is an interestingly written article by Steve. Bassmaster Elite Series rookie JVD essentially tried to bunt for a hit in the eighth inning of Denny Brower's no-hitter last week during
1: the Diamond Drive <laughs> in the Arkansas River. Steve Wright is really good. Isn't or me? maybe
0: what he did was like stealing a base in the ninth inning when his team was ahead by half a dozen runs. Uh, if you're a baseball fan, you know that these are violations of the code. There's nothing that says you can't do them, but you're violating. Um, Van Damme, 22, is now... Aware of it. Uh these young guys don't have the sportsmanship etiquette yet. Elite series veteran skeet reset. They're making some bad decisions. Unfortunately, that's part of being young. So now you have some some side comments from Skeet being brought in there. So what did he do? He did nothing other than go back to a spot in Pine Bluff Harbor to fish an area he'd found in practice. It was also the same place where he had lost two good fish during Thursday. He zeroed on Thursday, uh, meaning that he had no weight. Um and that's where Denny Brower was fishing and was winning the tournament. And JVD was out of it, but he went back there and caught some fish to get himself some points. Uh, as one observer stated, probably the biggest unwritten rule in bass fishing is you don't jack with the leader. Denny Brower, sixty-two, two point five million dollars in earnings at the time, shooting for the hundred thousand, according to several Elite series pros. Van Dam violated the code by going back to the place on Friday after Brouwer had taken the tournament lead and by fishing there again Saturday. He might as well have stood on home plate after hitting a home run into the upper deck. <laughs> uh, I got to get to Denny's quote because the term jacked with the leader is in there. And then he said um, that he would not be joining the Jonathan Van Dam fan club. <laughs> but this would not have gone public either had it not been for denny talking to maybe were you there i was not there uh steve Wright or steve price probably steve price about it you know they're way back and he's like well the dude from like the arkansas ledger is standing right there and he's in the interview area and he gets a hold of this thing so this article includes denny talking about his beef with jvd and it involves another Elite Series pro at the time who was not pleased with the venue. And it's on the front page in the hometown of Jerry McInnis, who who like is bass. And this is where they're highlighting Little Rock, Arkansas, where JM Productions is the whole nine yards. And instead of this Denny Brower's leading this massive, you know, Elite Series tournament, it's like complaining and beefing. And it was... Very interesting. There is a very interesting vibe for their final day of that event.
1: Of all the people in the history of bass fishing, Denny Brower is the one I would be most afraid to have beef with. Um, and if I'm Jonathan Van Dam in that situation, I want it publicized so when my body goes missing, they know to look in Brower's basement first.
0: In their defense, I believe that they smoothed it over afterwards. Brower ended up winning. Didn't cost him the win. Jonathan Van Dam was 22 years old.
1: Do you think if his name had been Jonathan Smith instead of Jonathan Van Damme, it would have gotten the same publicity?
0: No, I think I think you're you're. he's had him. I mean, dude, the guy's got a lead series wins. He's having good seasons on the BPT. He's a top angler in the world, and he's done it. I think it's hard any time. I mean, look at that in any sport. It's hard when your uncle or dad or brother or any of those guys are the greatest to ever freaking lace them up. Like look at the Gretzkys, Keith and Brent Gretzky. You know who they are? Wayne's brothers. I,
1: I even think of in using that same example, I used to fish with Chad Brower a fair amount and Chad probably just as good as his dad, but it's tough to always have people assume yep. that you're there because it's your dad and what your name is.
0: 100%.
1: Man, I like talking about this
0: stuff. What else you got? Cause I got more, I got grants, I got schedules, I got more, I mean, not as exciting I, 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 as,
1: you know, people, Kevin short will just text me once in a while and I'll get a text that says hashtag venom, because sometimes I can apparently be negative. I, I would kind of like to leave this show if you're amenable to it on a positive note, absolutely about, about the good things in the sport and particularly about BTL. The last time I was on, I talked about, I was getting ready to go to Panama and we had a BTL listener named Mark Jensen from Seattle who ended up, going to Panama with us because he heard about it on BTL. Like he's like, I heard you on BTL That's something I never would have considered. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the community here. I appreciate that we can say things that are controversial and that there's usually not too much blowback. Um, This sport is getting better all the time. I mean, uh, a lot of times we focus on the negatives on the fact there are too many tours out there. There are too many personalities out there. Uh, I, for one, feel like we're living in a golden age of it, and I'm I'm fortunate that I saw these beefs dating back to (laughs) 2001, 2005, 2020, and I hope I see many more. I hope we're sitting here in 20 years or on someone's hologram glasses in 20 years talking about the same stuff. But I, for one, am very thankful to have this opportunity.
0: Heck yeah, and I'm thankful to have the BTL listeners. I mean, it is it's it's absolutely insane, Uh, but I mean, it's something you can't you have to develop over two decades you, you know have to I mean? be there you have
1: to, i mean the the bass zone motto was all about being there but yeah. right it's it's all about being it, there it
0: started out as the net effect on bass fishing and then it went to it's all about being there and then it went to it's all about being live and then it somehow digressed to btl coming at you <laughs>
1: <laughs> but 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 it, it is all about being there like you have to put in your time to earn it in this sport like your ability to have beef with someone depends largely on the fact that you've earned the right to be there and and i get what they're saying about these young guys if you've earned the right to fish the elite series or the bp tour more power to you but a tommy biffle or a denny brower they get sort of a little extra leeway in my mind Mm -hmm. and and you do too because you've been doing this since you were like 12 years old out and casting kids out chasing the elite series around you've seen more and have more legitimacy than a lot of other people
0: it was funny i got a i got an email uh uh, a couple months ago now kind of stuck in my craw it said that i didn't have a a realistic viewpoint of what was going on in the industry because i'm too much of an industry insider and don't know how it actually works with the common man that i'm just a that i'm too too far into the industry and don't understand what it's like just to be a common fisherman or to common you, tournament you,
1: you you don't know anything because you know too much was the basic argument basically
0: it was yeah you're too deep in to have a, to have any realistic viewpoints. And I was like, I literally got into this, not knowing anyone to fish the bass station, the entire, oh, it, just, it ticked me off Pete, because yeah. I was like, I am, I just, I just showed up every day and didn't quit when the pay was crap with Jeffrey. Yeah. So like, I it, just continued to show up, like just, <laughs> just eating the sandwich every day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote a lot of, ar- I,
1: I wrote a lot of articles back in the day that paid me 50 or $75 or in some yeah. lame cases, nothing at all. And it was dumb on my part, but I'm glad I did them. Like, all those thousand steps along the way to contribute yeah. to what I have now.
0: I mean, I went to every single Elite Series event and was never, ever, ever covered for food. Like Jeffries would pay for the room. <laughs> Everything else was on my own. And No, no, no day rate, nothing. Like I would lo- I would break even every single time I was on the road for 10 years.
1: Well, now, like all those pros, you're making millions of dollars.
0: Oh, tens of millions. Come on, Pete.
1: Did, would you trade it though for anything like you could have been a corporate dude reading TPS reports for years and made a lot more money? And when you're on your deathbed, when you're 70, 80, 90, whatever it is, you're gonna have memories of the crazy stuff you saw of of Jeremy Stark saying Kevin Van Hoo and stuff like yeah. that. Like, to I, me, that's I worth don't it know.
0: All. I think I 100% am glad I did it and did it for that long. I wish I had had the balls to, to go forward like like uh about five years sooner like i got burned out on the end of going to all of them yeah i could see that but it happens hey uh so you mentioned travel earlier any big trips coming up
1: oh man it's gonna be a good year in 2023 we are going to guatemala to go sail fishing in two weeks um, oh jeez so yeah <laughs> you have
0: trips coming up that's
1: it we have then the classic in knoxville we have El Salto in May, and my wife wanted me to remind people, if anyone wants to go, go to our website, Half Past First Cast, or email her at fishmore at half past first cast. We do have spaces for our May offshore deep cranking and swim bait trip to El Salto, including if you're a single angler, we have a single male angler. My dog apparently wants to go. Single male angler and single female angler looking to go. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say
0: you have like a love connection. No, if you're we, a single male or female <laughs> angler, let us know and we'll go to El Salto.
1: No, that's my next business idea is Bass Tinder that you took away. Um, <laughs> we are going to Alaska in July and August. And I am going to, My my wife. One more thing. I'm sorry to do all this. Chad Morgenthaler, who I believe you're having on later this week, yep. now has his future cast Academy with Dave Mansu. Yep. And Brian Snowden, my wife is doing a ladies trip there in April. Any ladies or parent, child, father, son, father, daughter, who would like to go. Awesome trip. Easy to get to. Inexpensive. Um, I would just encourage people to travel. Go to our website. The sign Mm -hmm. fell down, apparently. Um, (laughs) Halfpassfirstcast.com. Email me. I like to talk about travel. We have on our trips a no politics, no BS rule. When we're there, we're there not to have beefs. We're there to catch a lot of fish.
0: Heck yeah, that's awesome. And then still writing for all of the same places.
1: Outdoor Life, Field and Stream, some for Meat Eater, a lot of advertorial work, Bassmaster, obviously. And Half Past First Cast is our website. I encourage people to go there. Let me know what you want to write about. That's a place where I can write with no advertising concerns, no beef concerns. I can write about what mm-hmm. I want to write about anytime we want to write about it.
0: Well, if you get fired for this, you're welcome to come back on BTL every week. Uh, I, I followed the Mark Jeffries model of it takes a decade before you could actually make somebody at it. So <laughs> by 2033, you'll be good to go. <laughs> well, I, I am four years
1: and 14 days away from my minimum retirement age. I don't know if I'll be able oh, to retire congratulations. At that point, but yeah, that's like, when you first start at jobs, you meet the old guy who's like, I'm going to retire in 26 days, and I've become that old guy. But my, our goal is we're going to buy an RV. We're going to travel with the Elite Series. We are going to travel overseas as much as we can and just fish as much as that's we can. That's fantastic. So, so that's the goal. That's.
0: I would be remiss if I did not mention this during the show today. If you were brought up in any of the beefs and you are an angler who was mentioned today and, the, and it was not portrayed the way you thought, you are more than welcome to jump on BTL and say how it actually went down. Shoot me a text, shoot me an email. The goal here wasn't to throw anybody under the bus. It was to just richen the history of tournament bass fishing with some memorable moments from the past 20 or 30 years of fishing. And hopefully we, uh, we accomplished that and everybody had a good time. It wasn't intended at all to, uh, to screw anyone over.
1: Two, two things about that. One is if you were in a beef, it means you were probably doing something right. Even if you were in the gray area ethically, you were probably in position to win or to do really well in a tournament. And two is if you were in a beef, whether right or wrong, you made the sport better. You're like the bad boy Pistons. You're like Christian Leighton, you're like Ricky Henderson bragging about himself in the third person. This sport needs more of that. In my opinion, I appreciate you having me on Matt.
0: Heck yeah. Thanks Pete. Come on, come back in. What is it? February. Come back in May. We'll be able to talk about what's going on on the elite series at that time. And I'll be like almost half over.
1: Awesome. Except for the week that I'm El Salto, I will be around in May.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, dude.
1: Thanks, man. Bye.
0: See ya. All right, that was writer extraordinaire Pete Robbins. Uh, and before we go, I do want to announce something uh, that's really cool that the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame just came out with. It is a fishery management scholarship program. Uh, and I will get Gene Gilliland on to talk about this more, but the main goal of it is to provide financial resources for high school and college bass anglers looking to pursue careers in the fish fishery management field uh the bass fishing hall of fame board is instituting a college scholarship program for students seeking it up to fifteen thousand dollars will be awarded in july of 2023 so if you guys know anybody who's in college who is a high school senior who is getting into the fisheries management field uh we want uh, people who kind of and we are the the bass fishing hall of fame is looking to really support that with up to fifteen thousand dollars uh Gilliland notes that the scholarship applicants must be a high school senior currently enrolled in a four-year college the application deadline for this is may 31st so uh go to www.bassfishinghof.com forward slash scholarship if you or anybody you know is interested in this great stuff that the bass fishing hall of fame is doing also want to talk about what we have going on the rest of the week uh i got an a text from jason reyes who i've known but i'm not like super great buddies with him and uh was you're chatting back and forth i was hey man why don't you jump on btl and then i started looking at his stats and i've incredibly underrated FLW tour at MLF Angler over the past 20 years. Jason Reyes, when you take into account the number of tournaments, career earnings and number of top 10 finishes he has. Also uh, I've been told in doing research for this show that he is an aficionado with light line and small swim baits. So we are going to get into that tomorrow with Jason Reyes. And then on Wednesday, Chad retired elite series angler, Chad Morgan is going to come on the show, talk about uh, everything that's going on down in Florida. You know, back in the day, he was a big time Florida guy. Uh, went down there with his wife, set up the camper and uh, really learned Florida. Uh, really good friends with uh, with Glenn Brown, Who's uh, no longer with us and some of those guys down there and learn how to punch. So he is going to break down what is going on with the schedule, uh, which is what I'm going to talk about with the Elite Series kicking off in 10 days on Okeechobee, the Invitational kicking off in two days on Okeechobee, uh, and the BPT kicking off February 13th on the Kissimmee chain. So a lot of stuff. Still on the table. Don't forget if you're in the Minnesota area, February 11th, Giesenbauer, something's pronounced somewhat similar to that. Beer company in New Prague, Minnesota, five to 10. DM me on Instagram at Matt Pangrek if you have any questions about that. Uh, fantasy fishing wise, there is a Bass Talk live group now available for the Tackle Warehouse Invitationals, the BPT, and Bassmaster. Just go to the groups. They now have public groups on FLW or MLF. Uh, type in Bass Talk Live, all capitals. Those are the groups that you will see there. Those are up there. Same thing on the Bassmaster Elite Series. We have Sunline, uh, Big Bite Baits, and Denali rods for the winners. And then the winner of both the Elite Series group and the BPT group will get a guest spot on BTL to come on for a segment at the end of the year. I think that pretty much covers. That uh, think that pretty much covers everything we got. So. Thanks for sticking with it. Great show. I told Pete, I said, nah, I won't be two hours. We won't get into that. Guess what we are so close. This has been another edition of BTL Bass Talk Live. We will talk to everybody tomorrow. See ya.